All right. Hi, everybody. Again, sorry I'm a little late. The topic of tonight is the Rashbam's dealings with the Minim, the Rashbam's dealing with people who are heretics. So the Rashbam seems to take a page out of the Merinavuchim, although, of course, he was before the Rambam, and he states that the prohibition for the certain foods that are not kosher, that we talk about on this week's Parsha, in Parsha through A, which is a recapitulation of the stuff that we already mentioned in Parsha Shemini. So the Rajbam says the following, and he says this in Vayikra. But when we did Vayikra, we didn't get a chance to talk about this Rajbam. We really didn't get a chance to focus that much on the Rajbams and Vayikra because of the various holidays that came in. So that's why I wanted to catch it now. When we are doing Re'e, which is a recapitulation of some of those laws that we see in Shemini, and make it a more general topic to talk about the Rajbam's dealings with the Minim, which we touched on just a little bit back in the end of Parshas Brejas. So this time it'll be more fulsome. So the Pazik tells us, that certain things that you are allowed to eat certain animals they have to have split hooves they have to chew their cud and then certain animals you're not allowed to eat the Rashbam says the following according to the simple shot remember the Rashbam is par excellence so the Rashbam says that and as a response to the minim the reason, as a matter of pshat, and to respond to the heretics, that you are not allowed to eat certain foods that are detailed in Parshas for A and in Parshas Shmini, the reason is why? The reason is because they are mo'us, they are disgusting. These things are disgusting. These things are going to inflame the body. They're going to inflame the body. What does that mean, inflame the body? It means that they're going to be unhealthy. They're going to, they're going to be uh, things that make a person uh, get sick. So the Rajbam continues, Ulafikach nikru tameyim. And therefore, these Things are called tame, impure. Even the expert doctors agree with this characterization that the foods that are prohibited for us to eat, whether it's the seafood, whether it's on land animals, whether it's the birds, whether it's the shkatsim or musim, all of these things, the reason that they are forbidden for us to eat, says the Rajbam, according to Pshuta Shalmikra, and to respond to the heretics is because it's unhealthy. And even the doctors, even the expert doctors agree. Ve'af betalmud, and we even find in the Gemara, that the Gemara says that a'akom she'aychlem shkatsim ramasim chavagufayu, that gayim who eat these disgusting things, their bodies are getting very heated up, meaning unhealthily. That is the Rashbam.
So we see two things from this Rosh Bam. One, time and mikra, a reason for the mitzvah. Second, we see that the 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 reason for the mitzvah is not just an explanation of the mitzvah, but that explanation can be used to respond to heretics and to respond to the Pshutai Shal Mikra. The Pashib Shah of the Mikra, the Tam HaMitzvah of kosher and non-kosher is health, and it also can be used as a response to Minim, who may otherwise have a problem with Kashrus laws, with the Jewish dietary laws. Says the Rabbin, the Marin of Vuchim, which obviously came after, the Rabbin was obviously not going to be influenced by the Rashbam, but the Rambam says the following in the Meira. He says, this is in Chelek Gimel, in Parak Memches, where he deals with all the kashrus issues, and he says, all of these different mezainas that we are forbidden from eating, all of these foods, mezaina meguna, they're disgusting. It is clear that all the things that the Torah is ossering us, it is damaging the only question is about pork and about fat, which seem to be okay. And he says, nevertheless, there's the, somehow the, the pork is more wet and therefore less healthy. And it has rav hapasoilis. There's, there's a lot of extra things in the meat that are not good for a person. And therefore, what the Torah says, we shouldn't be eating it because the pig is a very dirty animal, lives in the mud, and it eats disgusting things. You already know, you know the Torah is very makbid on cleanliness, right? We cannot even go to the bathroom in a time of war, in the middle of a machanah. Right, this is not like the Roman latrines in Beit Shan or other places in Caesarea where you could see everybody going to the bathroom together, make kumbaya in the Torah. Everything is meant to be clean. It's meant to be separate. And it has to be done outside. The Torah is very makbid on cleanliness. So a pig who is the epitome of uncleanliness because of how he lives, therefore it, such an animal is definitely going to be unhealthy as well. And he says, If a pig was permitted for us to eat, the homes, the farms would be much more dirty because they would be raising pigs and pigs are by definition dirty. As you can see in the land of the French today, the Rambam came from France. Maybe uh, he was impacted by the pigs. Of course, we know that the pigs need the mud Right, because they don't have sweat glands, and that's the way uh, they they manage to keep themselves um, at the right temperature. So that he quotes the Gemara that the mouth of a chazir is like is just full of dung. It's full of disgusting uh, um, feces. And similarly, with regards to chelav, it obviously also is unhealthy. He thinks maybe it uh, um, makes the blood too cold. So according to the Rambam, sounds very much like the Rashbam. The reason for the Torah giving all of these dietary laws, the reason for the prohibition of eating of certain foods, is because those foods are unhealthy. The Rambam, by the way, continues. In this week's Parsha, you know at the end of the, the recapitulation of the forbidden foods, we say, which we don't say 
which we don't say where. We don't say that back in, back in Parsha Shmini. Right, we, we have the list of Asher Gediba Chalevi Mike two times. One time by Parshas Mishpatim, the other time Parshas Kisisa, but we don't actually say it in Parshas Shemini, what you might expect it, given that it's a food-related item. But we do find it here in Parshas Re'eh, the summing up of all of the various Isurei um, Achila, the last one, is Lesh Savash By the way, that's perhaps a contextual raya against the Samaritans, Sadukim, and others who read the Torah literally, who say, well, the Torah is just simply saying you cannot cook, you cannot seethe, is the English translation, the, the, the kid and its mother's milk. Right against that, that it would have to be talking about eating, is it's in connection with all of these other Isuri Achila here in Parshish Re'eh. So it would be odd to be putting in one that has nothing to do with Achila. That is just a simple contextual proof against it, against that reading. In any event, the the Rambam, the Marah Nebuchim says that the reason that we're not allowed to eat meat and milk, he says not 100% clear um, about the fact that it was used for idolatry. He thinks it was. Some archaeologists have pointed out that it was, but in the Rambam's day he wasn't aware of any evidence to that effect. And he says, I think it's probably something to do with idolatry, but I don't know for sure. But he says... Meat and milk is very fatty and probably unhealthy. As anybody who eats cheeseburgers um, would attest, the people who eat the cheeseburgers are definitely, typically, not necessarily the most healthy. But I'm not sure if that's a simon or a seba. All right, so moving on. The Rashbam says <clears throat> that, again, that the reason for the Jewish dietary laws is because of health. That's the Pshutai Shal Mikra, and that is the Tshuvas Haminim, and that is also a response to heretics. Now, if you looked at the Psukim simply, if you looked at the Psukim as a matter of Pshat, clearly the Rashbam is correct. What does the Torah say in Parashat Shmini? The Torah tells us in Parashat Shmini all the different laws. The Torah says that what's the problem with the Gamal? What's the problem with the Camel? The problem is Kimali Geru, Varsoy Nenemaphras, it doesn't have split hooves, Tamehu Lochem. Right, again to and then Chazir, right? It's it's it is Mafras Parsa, but it's not it's not uh, it's not Malagero. So Tamehu Lochem, Mibisorum Lese Chelov and Vlosam Lese Go to Meim Heim Lochem. It's Tamei to you. It's impure to you. So the Torah is not simply saying that when you are when you are uh, thinking about eating these various different foods, the Torah is not merely saying that it's not okay to eat. The Torah is also saying it's tummy, it's impure. There's something negative about it. Recall the language of the Ram, of the Rajbam, as well as the Rambam. The, the, these kinds of foods that are prohibited to us are disgusting. They're me'usim, they're mikulkalim, they're mischamimim. These are all negative connotations of the fact that they're disgusting, they are deleterious, they are to our detriment, they heat us up incorrectly. These are all words that the Rashbam used as a matter of pshat. And it would seem that he would be based it on the psukim correctly, because the Torah does suggest that these animals are not merely forbidden to eat, they're also impure, or as the Torah says, by the fish. By the fish, the Torah says that something that doesn't have the snap of a kaskeses, it lacks the fins and scales, sheketz heim lochem, it is disgusting to you. It's a sheketz. Uh, v'sheketz yu lochem. 
And it should be like shkatim for you. It should be disgusting to you. The Torah reiterates repeatedly. The Torah says repeatedly when it comes to seafood that it's not merely tame, it's a sheket. Right? It is disgusting to you. Or when it comes by the birds, the Torah says, These are the things that are shekets from the from the bird life. And the Torah lists a lot of birds that are shekets. They are, again, disgusting. Or when it comes to the creepy crawlers, when it comes to the things that uh, crawl on the ground, we mentioned a number of different things. So in all of these cases, the Torah is either saying something is impure, it's a sheketz. Or if we look here in Parshas Re'eh, in our Parsha this week, the Torah says, that, And before it lists out all the different um, forbidden foods, whether they are animals, whether they are birds, whether they are fish, whether they are shkats and vermas, and the Torah says at the beginning, the opening line is loisaychel kol te'evi, not allowed to eat any abomination. So these things are abomination, they're disgusting, and they're impure, and the Torah repeatedly reiterates that about all the different types of food groups. So it seems that it's not merely a situation that these things are unhealthy, they're also meant to be disgusting. They're also meant to be things that we have no interest in, things that we are not meant to be thinking like, oh my gosh, I wish I could have that crab or, or you know, that calamari, right? We should be thinking instead, it's disgusting. Now, the reason that the Rajbam said, if you recall the Gemara that the Rajbam quoted, and the Gemara that the Rambam quoted, were two different Gemaras. The Gemara that the Rambam quoted was the Gemara from Brachis. The Gemara said that the Pia Chazir is filled with Sayah. The mouth of a Chazir is filled with disgusting excrement. It's filled with feces. And the um, and the um, it's not the only place where the Gemara talks about the mouths are filled with something. Right? The Gemara says about the mouth of a woman is a pia maledam. So the Gemara, the Gemara says that that the mouth of a pig is very dirty, and it lives in the dirt, it lives in the mud. And so the Gemara over there says in Brachas that you would have a havamina that if the pig took a bath, let's say he went into the river, and it came out of the river, and now he'd be clean. You know, he had a he had a shower, he put on some deodorant, he put on some, you know, uh, some axe, and so now the pig smells good. You know, there's a, there's a saying in English, right, that uh, um, you come out smelling like a rose. So maybe the pig could smell like a rose. No. The Gemara says even when a pig takes a bath, he's still a pig. He's still a pig. And um, being that he's still a pig, he's still not kosher, and he's still pia male uh, tsoya. The Gemara that the Rajbam was quoting is a different Gemara. The Gemara over there has a question about whether or not the the eating of shkats and vermasim heat up the body. And the Gemara says the way the Rajbam is taking it that it heats up the body and therefore it's a negative. The problem is with the Rajbam is that the Gemara there also contrasts that as to whether or not a Jewish person who is Isaac B'mitzvah is also Chavu Gafayu. His body also becomes heated up. And the Gemara ends up teku, that's not 100% sure. To explain what the Gemara means in terms of chavah gafayah, that being keeping in mitzvahs, makes somebody heated up, 
Um, I have a very personal example. My personal example is traveling to the the on a Friday afternoon to the home to my home from work, and Shabbos is coming up. The eighteen minutes gets started, and I'm sitting in an accident, and there's nothing to do. There's no place to go. You can't go in the divider. You can't go here. You can't go there. Your blood pressure, right, is racing. Your your pulse is racing. Your 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 blood pressure is going higher and higher and higher. So that that's a, a situation where the shmir samitzvus is impinging itself upon us, and making our bodies respond, right? That's the chavul gafayu. Now I don't know whether or not eating lobster is to the same degree, but I do know that in my own personal experience. Driving home on a late Friday, on a, a late Friday afternoon, trying to get home before Shabbos, and it's very difficult. You definitely feel the chavul kafaya that the Gemara says. You definitely feel your body's heated up, and not in a good way. It's heated up with a tremendous tension because you want to make sure you get home for Shabbos. So, what is worth noting is that this Rajbam, and of course the Rambam, talking about the disgusting aspects, it seems to be clearly based on shot. Right, we quoted all the different psukim from Parsha Shmini and from Parsha A that it's a Sheket, that it's a Te'eva, that it's Tame. It, it seems correct that not only are we to say that these foods are forbidden, we're also to say that they are disgusting. And they are disgusting, perhaps by definition, in other words, perhaps existentially they're disgusting, but they're also unhealthy. That's the reason that the Rajbam and the Rambam give. Again, the Torah doesn't say it. The Torah doesn't use the fact that it's unhealthy. The Torah just simply says, disgusting. The problem is that we have a lot of Chazals that seem to be to the contrary. Right? Everybody remembers that Yalta said that, uh, that Yalta said to Rav Nachman, Michdi, let us see, that Koman, Asa, Rachmana, Sharolon, Kavaseh, whatever the Torah was, Asa in one place, it was Matar in another place. All the different examples of what the Torah was Matar. Um, there's a, a, a variety of different examples of this in, in, in various different chazals. But what is clear, uh, and maybe uh, people heard about the, the, you know, the, the notion that the one day the chazal is going to be lost at Lava, he's going to come back, be a kosher animal. So there are numerous examples where it seems to be that we're not supposed to be saying or thinking about the animals as being disgusting. Even if we can't eat them. Yeah, the Torah, the Torah said no. But not that, oh my gosh, it's gross. I would never want to eat it. I, would never, I wouldn't want to have anything to do with it. But rather the opposite. We should say, I would love to, but what should I do? The Torah said, it's prohibited. Now, it's not 100% clear to me that there's a simple answer to that question. And I'm not going to deal with it right now. But that is, or should be, a question that, that is worth noting. What I do want to focus on is the second part of the Rosh Brahms question, which gets us to the topic of the Minim. Because remember that the Rosh Bam told us that this answer of explaining why the Torah has these dietary laws is not only an explanation of Shuta Shomikra, it's also the Shuvah Saminim. It's also an answer to the heretics. Now I want to know who these heretics are. That the Rambam is ta- the, the Rajbam is talking about. Who are these heretics, and wh- why is the Rajbam talking to them? The first thing we have to remember, I mentioned this way back in the very beginning of the first class, 
that the the Mordechai said about the Rashbam, Ki Shefala Enayim Hoyo. He was somebody who walked around with Shefala Enayim. He walked around with his head downcast. He walked around with his head down low. That is to say, the Gemara says that the, who is somebody who's been Elam Haba, who is somebody who's worthy of having the Shechina rest upon them. Somebody who's a Shefala Berach, somebody who's, who's a humble person. So the Rashbam is a very humble person. And in the story that the Mordechai brings down is because he always kept his eyes downcast, because he didn't look where he was going, because he was such a humble person and a holy person, he didn't want to see anything going on outside. So therefore, he was about to get up in a situation of Kalayim. He was about to go in a situation where he was being driven by two different species of animal. And the Rabbeinu Tam had to tell him, Alti Tzadik Harbe, don't be such a big Tzadik. Big up your head, you will notice. You have two different animals taking you on a trip. So this is an example of the Rajbam Sitkus. This is an example of the Rajbam perhaps keeping his head, as it were, in the proverbial sand. However, I think it's pretty clear from the commentary of the Rajbam throughout Chumash that we can prove that this was a one-off story, that the Rajbam certainly was not somebody who kept his head in the sand. And how do we know? Because if you look at a few different places in the Rashbam, he tells you about different things that he's done with his time. This is very different than Rashi. So the Rashbam says in in Shemais, in Shemais Chav Gimel, the Rashbam says, V'shuv matzasi b'chol sifrei aspamia ve'ashkenaz k'moishahigati mishkal dagesh. He's talking about a dagesh in a word, which is not necessarily so important for us right now. Uh, and I'm not the right person to explain it because I don't necessarily know grammar that well. However, what I what I can read from this Rajbam is the end. What does the Rajbam say? He says, remember the Rajbam is from Rouen in Rouen in France, um, northern France, and he's saying to you that he checked all the Svar Aspamia, which is Spain, and Ashkenaz, which is Germany, and he found them that they all carrying this dugish the way he says. That tells you that the Rajbam took some trips, right? He went to Ashkenaz, and he went to Spain. And, another, again, another Rajbam also in Shemais, in Parikhav the Rajbam on the word Mishukadim explains, Veshuv Shomati, and then I heard, Shekain Mirfarshim, this is how they explain this, Benarvona. What is Benarvona? That's Narbonne, that is south of France, that is Provence. So the Rajbam is talking to people who have communications with the people who live in the south of France, which at that time was a separate kingdom. Or the Rajbam in Bamidbar, there's a Rajbam in Bamidbar Yudalef. The Rajbam says, Vinishalti Oleho Biparis Upeirashtiv Bidrasha. He says, I was asked about this in Paris, and I explained it in a speech, in a sermon that I gave. So the Rajbam clearly was traveling even within France. He went to Paris. He went to Paris on a trip. And, um, and then he says in another place, in that very same, it's a very long Rajbam, he says, He says, I found a proof from Rabbi Kleinimus from Rome, like me. So he has access to certain manuscripts. He's traveling to Spain, traveling to Germany. He has connections and connectivity to people from the south of France, from Provence. 
Um, another example is also in Bamidbar. He says, Nishalti biyunuv bekrach lucerne. Again, I don't know exactly what Lucerne is. It sounds like it's not the Lucerne in Switzerland, but I don't know. Um, he says he was asked in a certain town. So we know he was already traveling to Paris. Now he's traveling to Univ. Again, I don't know, I don't know exactly how to pronounce that. Um, another, another example is in Devarim, in last week's Parsha. In last week's Parsha, the Rajbam says on the word Akar, the Rajbam says, Similarly, I found in all the Svarim in Svar, all the Sifrei Torah in Svar. In other words, according to the Rajbam, remember the Rajbam told us that he went to Aspamia. He was calling it Svarad. I'm not sure if there's a difference between the two. But Bechol Sifrei Svarad, it sounds like he did research. You know, there was a famous rabbi, the Banish Chai. I'm sorry. Um... That they, they um, the what do you call it? the Rishav Chaim, Rishav David Azulai, who went around um, uh, Europe, and he would go to all the libraries, and he would uh, check out all the manuscripts, and write them write them up whatever he could to take information. An incredible uh, bibliographical mind. It sounds like the Rashbam was doing that kind of research. You may remember that the Rambam also, when he wanted to write a Sefer Torah went and went uh, you know, to look at the manuscript, uh, what we call today the Aleppo Codex, that he seemed to have access to, uh, and, and, and went through it in order to be able to get a correct uh, version. Uh, also, the Rambam writes a few times, uh, including in the Mishnah Torah, he writes that he looked through all the different manuscripts of Gemars, including a very old one from a thousand years before him, or, or something like the 800 years, I think he says, before him, uh, in order to, to get the correct version of the Gemara. So people have been looking at texts and manuscripts to get the most pristine text for a very long time. Now, uh, what I think all of this shows, and by the way, I found another example. At, at, the, at the last possible place that you could find, uh, in Vizayis uh, HaBracha, the Rajbam there talks about, um, it's, I'm sorry, in Paris Hazinu, um, the Rashbam says, "Vani isi I saw the same thing happen in a harvest. The specifics of what he's talking about is not so so important right now for the moment. But what is key is that, as I pointed out at the beginning, while the Mordechai says he was a shval enayim that he's always keeping his eyes down, what I'm hoping to show is that his eyes were not always down. Right, that he traveled around the country, he went to other countries, he checked manuscripts, he had communications with a variety of folks, including Christians. How do we know? So if you remember, we had a Rajbam in Shemais. We had a Rajbam in Shemais on the on the Pasuk of Leitirzach, right? One of the one of the ten Dibrais, one of the Decalogue, is the Shadat murder. So the Rajbam makes a distinction between Ritzicha and Hariga. Ritzicha is a crime, it's murder. Hariga, which is killing, is not necessarily a crime. Sometimes it's a mitzvah, sometimes it's a good thing to kill somebody. Right? You have to, it's a mitzvah to kill the woman who was uh, engaged with an animal in uh, bestiality. Um, or when it says that Cain, Payakom Cain, Cain gets up. Vayar, I guess, have El Achav, and he kills Abel, his brother. 
that hariga is a ritzicha. So the word haroig, the word hereg, killing, can sometimes be okay, a mitzvah even, and sometimes it's murder. Whereas ritzicha is only used for murder. So this is Rajbab's distinction. He says, This is a tshuva that I told the apikarsim, and they agreed to me. And even though they're in their books, they say it in, uh, differently, because they say, I need Latin In the language of Latin, the way they say it is in, in terms of killing, which is incorrect, because Hashem is not Amis as Ritzicha. Hashem is Amis as Hariga. Hashem is not killing anybody incorrectly. Hashem is not murdering anybody. Everything Hashem does is just. So they mistranslate Ani Amis that Hashem is murdering someone and he's resuscitating them. And he said, I told them they're wrong. It's a mistranslation. You need to say Ani Amis as what? You need to say Ani Amis as Ani Amis and translate it into Latin as Hariga, as killing. Not that as murder, Hashem is not guilty of murder. Uh, and, and they and they what he called, they were highly, they were minded to me. But they weren't very careful. So you see in this Rajbam an unbelievable thing. Not only did he have communications with the Jewish community at large, he also had communications with the Christians, and he was able to correct them in their Latin Bible. Now I don't know if this is a proof that he knew Latin, but it's certainly a proof that he was aware of their Bible translations, not merely into Greek, but into Latin, and he was willing to debate and discuss these translations, presumably with churchmen, right? Because who else was studying the Bible? At that time, in the medieval era, most people were illiterate. Most people would not be able to study anything. The people, only people who were literate, the only people who studied were the church. So this is presumably talking to some Galach. And in fact... If we look at another Rashbam in Parakhav Ches and Shemais, the Rashbam says, he says when he's talking about the the Me'il, he says, Lahavdil Ke'ain Malbushim Shal Galachim. Lahavdil, he says it's not comparable, Chasvishalim. But like the priests wear their garments, it's like that. Which I think is unbelievable because, again, it shows that the Rashbam was aware of what Galachim wore. In the same way that Rashi in Parashat the Tzav, everyone remembers that Rashi, where Rashi talks about the, the outfit that the woman riders wear, and it's like, whoa, how did Rashi know what the woman riders wear? Right? So they came up with this apocryphal story that one time Rashi was about to, to be crushed by a horse rider who was not paying attention, or maybe deliberately wanted to hurt him. And so he, trying to squeeze into the wall, and the wall opens up miraculously for him, and he's, he, he's trying to figure out, like, you know, what was his purpose and why was he here? And he sees that the dress of the rider looked something like the aphid. In any event, what we have shown is that the Rambam's head was certainly not on the sand, not by a long shot. Now remember, we have always said that the Rajbam's commentary is very laconic. What is laconic? It's very short, it's very coarse. So when the Rajbam is writing something long, we have to pay attention. And when the Rajbam is saying something a number of times, we have to pay attention. Our ears have to perk up. And so, going through the Rajbam, through Chomish, you see that the Rajbam talks about the minimum a number of times. This seems to have exercised them a lot. We've now hopefully provided some context as to the Rajbam's interactions, not only with Jews from all over the place, not only with manuscripts, but also with non-Jews. 
And over here, I want to show a few examples of where the Rashbam talks about the Minim. The first time we mentioned already in, in, um, in, um, uh, before, uh, in the beginning of the class in relation to the dietary laws, but there's a second place also in Shemini, where again he's talking about the dietary laws. And the Pesach says, When the food gets water on it, then it can become tame, it becomes makabal tumma. Says the Rajbam. Misha writes a lost mitzvah. Whoever wants to give a tam for the mitzvah. Remember, the time of mitzvah is a thing that exercised a lot of the people from the end of the Ga'inim and the early Rishinim. Time of mitzvah is a very big deal. The Sefer Achinach is always giving the tam the Shroshem mitzvah. The Rambam and the Marnavukim is always giving you the time of mitzvah. Time of mitzvah is a very big deal. And the Rashbam is getting in on the industry early, right? He also is giving you Tam HaMitzvahs. So he's saying, what's the reason for this mitzvah? What's the reason for the the, the fact that the Torah says that when it gets water on it, it can become its Mechabal Tumah? Says the Rashbam. Misha writes, Allah says, Tam HaMitzvahs Lefi Derech Eretz, Ulechuvas Haminen, and also to answer the heretics. He says, The Torah did not mandate, the Torah did not qualify that something can become when it comes to food or drink until it has become ready as food. And putting on water, that is the beginning of preparing the food. You're washing the food, you're putting on water. And therefore, that's when it becomes ready uh, to be Kabbal Tumma. So the Rash Bam is explaining the Tama Mitzvah. Why is it re- able to accept impurity when you pour water on it? Because when you pour water on it, that's when the food has become ready. And the, when it's still not yet ripe, when it's still not yet ready, it does not able to become impure. And that, the Rash Bam says, is not only an explanation, for the Tam HaMitzvah, but also a tshuva for the Minim, also a response to the heretics. So now, we have another example, where the Rashbam is talking about the tshuva HaMinim, and that is by Kilayim, in Parshas, um, in, 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 uh, in, in um, what do you call, um, the Pasuk says, as Chukai said, the Shemar Behem Tuchol, it's Herbiya Kilayim, Sadchol, it's Yisrael Kilayim, so the, the Rashbam is saying the following. What does it mean? What does that mean? You're not allowed to mix things together. Says the Rashbam. Again the Derech Eretz and again the Tshuvas Haminim. So according to the simple explanation as well as the response to the heretics, you want to know why the Torah asks up Kilayim? The Torah asks up Kilayim because of the fact that each thing, because it's meant to be kept separate, the two separate species, things are meant to be kept separate. So, so to by Semer Pishtim, so to by flax and wool, um, and so too by the behemoths, and so too by the things that are growing in from the ground. And then he says, Ulaminim, and to the heretics, Omarti, I said to them, Atzemer Tzavuah, the Tzemer, the flax, um, and the Pishton, 
are different colors. The pishton, which is like flax, this is not savua. It's like, I guess, white. And the tzemer is dyeable. It is it, able to be dyed. I don't know whether or not flax is easily dyeable or not. But, but that's what he says. He says that they're different color schemes. And therefore, they shouldn't be mixed in the same way that the Torah doesn't want other mixtures or admixtures of different species to be mixed together. So, too, when it comes to colors, um, the Torah doesn't want the Tzemer Pishon to be mixed together because it's going to make a mishmash. And they agreed with me. I mean, it doesn't strike me as such a mind boggling reason, but they, these Minim, whoever they were, agreed with him. The last time that the Rajbam uses the term Minim, that I want to mention for this before we jump back to the beginning, is in Parshas Kiseitze. There the Torah tells us, by Shiluach HaKain, that the Rajbam says, what is the reason for Shiluach HaKain? The Torah says you have to send away the mother bird. You can't, um, you know, you can't, you can't take the mother away from the, 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 the children. Uh, so the Rajbam says, what's the reason for this mitzvah? The reason for this mitzvah, which again, I'm translating as sort of close to Pshat, although he doesn't use the term Pshat, I don't know why. The reason for this is, he says, I've already explained, by it's the same reason as over there. And the same reason where, by it's the same reason over there. Why? Why? It's not nice. There's a certain There's a certain lack of fine kite. There's a certain lack of of of, of goods kite when we're dealing with a situation where you can allow yourself to be have a sumptuous feast of the uh, the the goat in its mother's milk. You're both dead. Everyone's long dead. Fine. Say to God. How could you enjoy a meat like that? How can you enjoy a feast like that? Assuming it was kosher. Or how could you uh, shecht? How could you shecht the mama and the baby on the same day? How could you take... The Torah says, How could you do that? If you were able to do that without it bothering you, it would show that the hierarchy of life is so strong by you that you can't see anything that's beneath you. You can't feel the pain of another life form that maybe is not as conscious as you, that maybe is not as sophisticated as you, but it's still alive. So the Rajbam says, that's the Tshuva Saminim. You want to explain to the meaning, you want to explain to the heretics the logic of these mitzvahs, these various mitzvahs, of Shiluach HaKain. The reason is not to be an Achsar. Yes, we know Chazal say, whoever says, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is a, a Rachman because of, of Shiluach HaKain, he's bringing himself into doom. Because you can't say HaKadosh Baruch Hu is a Rachman. He's, he's beyond anything like that. But on a simple understanding of how to be able to live a life, we have to be able to take from these mitzvahs a Tama mitzvah, which the Rashbam is saying is for the heretics as well. And that is the Torah wants us to learn how to be mentioned. How to be decent people that have feelings even for life forms that are not as sophisticated and enable as humans. So where we got to now is that the Rajbab repeatedly, numerous places we showed, talks about the Minim, talks about heretics. 
This is an answer for the heretics. Remember, the Rosh is writing so few times when he's writing, and he's writing the same thing repeatedly about the Minim. It's clearly that the Minim were important to him. We showed how he clearly was debating churchmen in relation to how they translated Latin, the words of Leiterzach, right? We showed how, how the Rajbam was aware of what the Galachim were wearing. So he's not a head in the sand. He has communications with all the rabbis in Spain and in France and in Provence and he's he's aware of manuscripts in Germany, etc. So, who are these Minim? In one place we saw before that the Rajbam said that the Minim be used interchangeably without Bikarsim. But it still doesn't tell you without Bikarsim are. But if you look, there is one more Rajbam. And this Rajbam is in Paris Vayichi. And the Rajbam in Paris Vayichi is dealing with Ad Amim until Shilai comes. What's Shilai? Who's Shilai? What is Shilai? And I mentioned at the time in Paris Vayichi that there are many academics who say that the Rajbam is responding to Christians, that his commentary is clearly engaged with responding to Christians. Among the examples that we used with last week's parish, you might have been breaking the Luchais. Why did he break the Luchas? The Rajbam says it in Parsh Ekev. He also says it in Parsh Kisisa. That he broke it because he simply got weak. It wasn't in any way a rebuttal of the covenants or the like. And that's supposedly a, a challenge on the Christians. I don't necessarily see how, but they says he got he broke the Luchas because he got weak. He couldn't hold it anymore. There is a more famous Rajbam in Parsh Vayesha that we mentioned that also academics say has something to do with the Christian arguments. Because the Rajbam understands the Mechiras Yosef, if you recall, that who sold Yosef? Not the brothers. The brothers didn't sell Yosef. According to the Rajbam, the brothers put Yosef in a pit. And while they were sitting down to enjoy their feast, along came the Yishma'elim. They sold him to the Midianim. But it wasn't the brothers. Ah, Yosef says to the brothers, You, I am Yosef, your brother, you sold to Egypt. It wasn't literal. Or maybe Yosef wasn't aware that they weren't the ones who did the sale. But it says the Rajbah, I'm looking at the carefully at the Pesukim over there without getting into it right now. It's clear that the brothers didn't sell Yosef. The brothers were eating. Why is he so forced to say that? In part because we have so many Chazals talking about the Problem with the Senaschinim of today based upon the brothers from yesteryear who couldn't get along. And the punishments that we still have today, every single generation gets a little bit of a taste and a touch of the punishment that the Jewish people deserve for the Mechiras Yasef. So now I want to switch to Paris Vayichi. In Paris Vayichi, you recall, Pazik told us in the Brachas, well, who was Shiloh? So what do the Christians say? Who was Shiloh? Shilai is the person. Shilai is their Messiah. That's who Shilai is. Says the Rajbam, no way. Shilai is a place. What's the place? The place that we call today Shilai. In the Shomron. Excuse me, in the Shomron. Why are we talking about Shilai? Because the Pazik is saying, according to the way the Rajbam understands it, that the David family, the line of the King David, will have the united melucha ad kiyavai shilai only until they get to shilai. Who got to shilai? The, the, the Pasuk tells us there, says the Rashbam, 
that Rechava, Men Shleima, who took over, went to the area around Shilai, and he tried to harness the Jewish people in after him, but because he just refused to listen to their reason and to lower the tax burden, instead he increased it, therefore the Jewish people rebelled against him and they left. Ad Kiyavai Shilai. Only until Shilai will there be one united kingdom under the family of David. After that, it would split apart, says the Rashbam. Upshad Zed Shuva Laminin. This Pshad that I've just said now is a response to the Minim, to the heretics. She'ain Kosov Kiyim Shilai Shem Ir. Shilai is a city. She'ain Laz Bim Mikra. There's no um, uh, sort of uh, remiss to it. There's no like uh, a, a nickname of it in the Psukim. And it has nothing to do with a shliach, it has nothing to do with a person, like the Christians. This is the only place that the Rajbam is directly disputing the Christians. Again, he directly disputes the Minim. But my suggestion would be, based upon the evidence that we've amassed and talked about just now, that the Minim that he's talking about was his Lashen Saginar, he didn't want to come and write a commentary where he's bashing Christians. That wouldn't go well. Again, this is pre-censor days. This is pre-printing days. But you have to be cognizant. You have to be aware. You have to be smart. So we're not saying, we're not saying Minim as being Christians. But who is he really referring to? He is really referring to the Christians. Of course, if you want to talk about the Baruch of Allah Malshinim, in the Yerushalmi, there were versions at the time, back in the day, of Minim, Minitrim, different... All that may very well be true, but I'm talking about in the medieval era of France, in the 1200s, in the late 1100s, early 1200s, that the Rajbam lived in that cultural milieu. Who were the heretics? These weren't atheists. These most likely were the Christians that he was dealing with. But he talks about them in a way that is... You know, not so in your face, if you will. So with that, I will conclude here. So again, I apologize for starting late, but we managed to run through it quickly and at least not end late. Have a wonderful Shabbos.